Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we are talking architecture and development in Columbus with the principal of architecture and design firm JBAD, Jonathan Barnes. We discussed how architecture firms work, how projects come into fruition, the importance of relationships and a diversity of experience, choosing who to work with, the unique aspects of the Columbus real estate market, the issues that should be kept in mind as Columbus continues to grow, and whether we're doing a good job of addressing those issues. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace the innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive central Ohio. Morpsey's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsey.org. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here virtually with Jonathan Barnes, the owner of JBAD, architecture and design firm in downtown Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Mr. Barnes, how are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. First of all, tell me about JBAD and yourself and your work. Well, there's a lot to say there, but um, we've been here in Columbus for, uh, you know, the years just keep racking up, 20, <laughs> I think, eight now. Um, so I started the firm um, when I returned to Columbus, where I'm from. Um, in the early 90s, I was coming back from... Um, working in Italy for about three years, um, um, moved back to Columbus, decided to do that as opposed to Chicago, where I came from on my way um, out of the country and okay. uh, taught for a little bit and then um, started the um, started the firm, started the practice uh, back then. And where did you grow up? I grew up here in, in Columbus. No, where did you go to high school? Upper Arlington. Okay. Upper Arlington, a very cozy suburb. You're, you're a golden bear. That's right. That's good I to guess. know. I, I, you know, we just want the context. Yeah, that's it. And tell me about sort of the specialty of the firm and what what you guys do. Well, um, you know, we've done a lot um, over the years, um, and we've specialized in sort of different areas at different times, um, sort of depending on um, our interest, our expertise, and the market. Um, uh, the, the, you know, real estate market, I suppose. Um, I would say really for a good part of the, um, history of the firm, we've specialized in, I would say mixed use residential, um, okay. as a short, as a short term. So to most people that means apartments, but it also means office. It also means retail and, 
um, all sorts of things, but mostly it's urban, uh, urban infill projects, uh, a lot of apartments and condos, but um, a pretty broad base beyond that too. So, you know, banks and schools and office and art galleries and all sorts of things. Got it. But, but if they all have something in common, I would say for the most part, um, to a large degree, they're urban in one okay. way or another. And I am familiar with a couple of different business models of things. Uh, okay. I am not very familiar with architecture firms and sort of how that I know that you design buildings. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a familiarity with, do you tend to work with other firms, other architecture firms on individual projects or how, how the acquisition of a project happens? Um, if you could walk me through basically, first of all, how do you get on a project? Like what from, from the get go, a piece of land becomes available. Someone owns it what happens like do they have an idea of what they want there and you are sought out one answer to that is it works in all different ways which is one of the reasons why i'm an architect okay because it's never the same any particular day or week it, things come come up in all different ways for all different reasons and you have to be pretty nimble about sort of how you of uh, how you sort of manage that right um mm -hmm. so um the first part of your question, which maybe I'll come back to, is about um, working with other firms. Yes, we do partner, and that's a smart thing to do uh, okay. when it's a, when it's a good fit. Um, we're we're working on a project that's a partnership right now with a Boston firm. But I would say the answer to that question really is has to do with the project type, um, because like so, pu there's public sector and private sector, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, public sector, as you imagine, universities. Um, you know, libraries, uh, government, et cetera. Private sector is kind of everything else. It's private developers, it's um, property owners, people who don't have experience that want to do a project of some sort. Um, but it's, they, they happen in all sorts of different ways. So uh, sometimes they, they, they are generated by the purchase of a property and somebody has a property and now what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they, uh, somebody might have an idea for a, a project or even a, sort of a track record. Let's do this again. Um, uh, but they don't have a property. Okay. So they're looking for a place for it. Um, and would you assist in that process? Like the acquisition of, uh, the property? Yes. We assist in, let's say, um, analyzing and assessing properties sites okay. for projects we do that all the time but um i think something that's somewhat unique about us is that we often initiate that process okay. so you know we've been i've been around enough that you know in this context right in this environment that i'm pretty familiar with the neighborhoods and the potential properties, whether they're on the market or more, more, more likely not on the real estate market or off market, mm -hmm. and the kind of potential for development, right? Get one of one property versus another. So I, all the time, I see opportunity and I um, try to, let's say, put a team together. So I'll say, well, here's an opportunity for this kind of a project on this site. Um, and this is, uh, let's say, a developer that I think would be well suited for that. Um, so I reach out to them and or 
several of them and say, Hey, look, I think this, this is a good project. This could go, this could work here. You know, mm-hmm. are you, are you interested? That happens in, in this place pretty, pretty often. And so let's walk through as we continue. Cause there's like, you could talk about somebody wanting to build a house. You could talk about a university wanting to build a new, yeah. uh, center, but let's, let's walk through that process from a, you drive by or hear about uh, a property becoming available and you are sort of building the team and bringing them together from this point forward in the conversation, just so that we are sort of remain on the same page. Right. So how would you hear about it? First of all, would it be just driving by or see or hearing about, Oh, this property's becoming available? Um, yes. And that's going to be answered to a lot of my questions. It's like, it's, it's everything. So okay. let me, I want to, I'll qualify this part of the conversation to say that, you know, it had, that happens sometimes, but very often developers who are experienced and have property and know exactly that what they want, you know, okay. that we have established relationships and we you know we work together on multiple projects. I don't Got want it. to sound like, like, no, no, you know, no. I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely. Some, I'm, I'm, I'm not a puppeteer. <laughs> I'm so, an opportunist. So they know what they want. They basically say, we've got this property. We're going to extend a bridge park or something like that. And they say, we want a mixed use development. How do you, how do they pick you? Well, um, um, that's really, um, in, in our experience, that's really about, uh, relationships, right? Okay. And, relationships and, you know, reputation and all that. So, you know, we've been doing this long enough that people that do this sort of thing, I guess this sort of thing being, let's say this kind of mixed use residential type of project. Although look, we've done a lot of other things that, um, that people come to us for. I totally understand. You're trying not to pigeonhole yourself here. I get well, that. I mean, it's, I, w- I would also say that that is that sort of thing, having a broader for a project base and experience benefits all of our projects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we did a bank for the first time and, um, you know, we brought all of our experience for all of our projects to that. And it turned out, I think really, really well. So, you know, we look for first time projects, but it's, it's more about the opportunity and not about the sort of a specific sort of project type. Mm-hmm. But you were asking about sort of how we are selected for, let's mm-hmm. say, the, you know, certain projects. And, and I would say it's not even just one type, but it's it's um, it's about reputation and relationships. So, you know, I, uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of people know me and or know of me and they know our work. Um, I like to think that um, in our practice, it took from my perspective, it took us about 10 years to sort of get to the place where we had enough work that people knew about us and were coming to us. Okay. And that changed the equation quite a bit. I mean, and, and now that happens quite often. People know us or find out about us, uh, whether whether it's me or the practice or just the work, and they come to us looking for either the same, a similar kind of project type or let's say uh, modern architecture because that's something that we do really well mm-hmm. and that's what we're kind of known for. So we, people show up because they know us or they know me in one way or another often. So, mm-hmm. so that way, in, in, that, in, that, in that way, sort of we are sort of pre-selected because, okay, they know we can do this and so let's talk about it. You know, we take a few steps and then we put a proposal together and it works or it doesn't work and, you know, um, it happens or it doesn't. Okay. It feels very similar to an agency model, right? Like you're only there for it's one it's per project. 
and you are a piece of the pie to get it done. The funny thing is, is you're literally the, I don't think this is a metaphor, the architect of the whole thing. Right. Big A and little A, right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, that depends a bit on your perspective too. I mean, you know, again, if it's a project that, you know, that, you know, I'm trying to put together, um, um, then I guess, you know, that's, that's more accurate, but I mean, look, we are part of a team and, mm -hmm. you know, you need a team and you need a lot of people to make these things work. So, um, you know, I, I would say certainly we're an important part, but, you know, look, buildings get built without architects all the time. Okay. Um, different kind of buildings. Um, but that's, that's, that's true. But certainly we are, I would say an important part of the sort of greater team, you know, developer, there's a contractor, you know, there are lawyers, uh, you know, zoning attorneys, et cetera. Um, there are lots of consultants. Um, and then there are, you know, agencies cause we're in Columbus. So everything gets reviewed, um, right. and building departments and utility companies. And it's a pretty kind of crowded room. Yeah. And so let's say, the person with the money and the property, they are, I assume, the ultimate decision maker. But then you guys are there from the get-go and saying, here's our proposal for what we think something should look like. And I want you to step in and say, that's wrong, if I am at any point. <laughs> and, you, and the proposal includes maybe a rough sketch of, here's what we think this is going to look like. Here's the square footage that we think this is going to end up being. This is obviously all contingent on, you know, the, the zoning issues that you talked about and whether utility lines can get there and the cost of materials, I think is something interesting right now. Yep. And here's the dream. You deliver the dream and you say, this is what we think it's going to cost in total. Are you able to estimate that from the get-go? Um, yeah, to some degree. So um, the, the, these projects, well, certainly our projects tend to be pretty complicated. So okay. it's a very kind of incremental process, meaning when you start and by start, I mean, I have a call or I have a conversation with somebody about a project, right? Mm -hmm. Very kind of it's it's very much kind of in, in its infancy. It's an idea and a, and a piece of property, right? There is so much that we don't know, even though we've we think we might know, okay, it could look like this, or it could be this big, or it could look, you know, it could be configured in a certain way. There's so much that we don't know. So you tend to sort of go at that incrementally, right? It's okay. not like you start, it's not like a start and a finish and you sort of like know the direction you're going. You start initially with concepts mm -hmm. and you know, what we often call like fit diagrams, for instance, it's like, okay, okay. here's a site it wants that they're looking for some sort of an apartment project. Okay. What do you, what's, what's appropriate, what's going to fit on this site. And then comes all the things that you start that you bring into that. So it's about, it's about what it's so many things that you have to consider uh, the market. You think about the market and mm -hmm. what, what, what's a, what are unit types that work are working well in a particular area. Mm -hmm. Right. So a unit type, let's say downtown near the riverfront is going to be way different than a unit in, you know, Milo Grogan, Marion Village, mm -hmm. Franklinton, wherever. So you, you know, we think about the market. Um, we consider the site, what can fit. So we start, we have an idea about like, okay, here are the kind of apartments that could work on in this neighborhood and on this site. Now let's see how, what fits on this site. And then that has to do with, 
all sorts of things. Zoning, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with uh, certain building standards, like we have ideas about a, a, a t- particular kind of unit and the size of it and how it, they how you can multiply them and how they fit on a site. Has mm-hmm. a lot. It was, this is Columbus, so it still has a lot to do with parking. Okay. Um, that that drives a lot of it. It drives a and lot. And that's of it. an I, approval issue, right? Can be. Can be. Okay. I mean, in most places except for downtown. Okay. Why is that? Well, because downtown has no parking requirements. Got Everywhere it. else pretty much does. Um, Columbus, um, uh, citywide except for downtown, has a, you know, in, in that world, has a, I would say for the most part, still has a requirement for 1.5 uh, cars per unit as an okay. apartment. Um, there are, are you the person that's going to like the area commission meetings to sort of like make the argument for here's why we need this variance or, hey, we actually don't need a variance, but here's the plan and we need your approval? Yeah, it's usually us um, and um, oftentimes a zoning attorney. Um, okay. And by the way, there are exceptions. There are what are called overlays for the zoning code where uh, there, there are other standards. Uh, Short North has an overlay where uh, it's a one per um one space per per unit requirement so it's a little bit lower and but then it's even different than that because you can go below that if you pay the city a certain amount of money per Mm -hmm. missing space right so all that is it's about appropriate um zoning rules in certain areas to encourage appropriate development and um including the the sort of uh right sized parking solution right for Mm -hmm. one particular neighborhood or another and i want to do my best to sort of keep it as surface level as possible because i imagine this could be an entire series and i yeah there's an argument for for having you back we'll have the parking episode oh uh, that would be a whole like netflix series (laughs) walk me through so let's say you get it approved uh you've gotten uh That that was really quick by the way but go ahead Okay, that's fair. That's I got fair. approved in about three minutes. That was awesome. <laughs> so you've got it approved from, let's say, the area commission. Then when are you putting the team together that's actually building it? So good question. So the trick there is to get far enough. So we work, you know, we work with, in that case, mostly private clients. So we want to be careful about how uh, we spend their money, their mm-hmm. pre-development money, right? On the, the sort of, extra money they're spending before they get any kind of return or even know that they have a project. So I actually skipped over the entire design phase because that's ahead of bringing it to the permitting process. Talk about sort of pre-build contract with the person with the money in the property. I'm not necessarily concerned about the scale of the money, but concerned about like how, how do you bill? Is it, do you come to them with a proposal and you say, I think it's going to cost this amount of money and this gets you this amount of hours of design work. For example, is the attorney hired by you and basically that money filters through you? How much does your accountant have to do? Uh, generally, no, no. The, you know, there are consultants that, that we carry that we hire okay. um, that kind of come through us. Typically zoning attorneys are, are sort of a direct uh, hired by the owner. Um, okay. Oftentimes, or rather, maybe sometimes, depending, uh, a civil engineer is another one that the owner may hire directly. Also, okay. like a geo- geotechnical person that sort of figures out 
you know, you know, what's below ground, um, you know, they're hired by the, the, the owner, but to get to your real question, um, again, it's very incremental because we, you know, we understand that developers have only a certain amount of cash that they want to spend on a project before they have a project. Right. And right. certainly or often before they even own a property. Right. So we'll take the design, what we would call the conceptual design to a point far enough ahead or schematic design. Those are some terms that are some, somewhat overlapping okay. far enough that we know enough about the building to do a few things to inform the owner's pro forma. And that's the sort of a financial analysis. So they know mm -hmm. like, does this work? I'm going to spend this much. This is my return. This works. It doesn't work. Um, so that it, uh, we have a, it, we take it far enough also so that we can present it to a commission. Mm -hmm. So we know, they know, they know what it's, what it's conceptually going to look like. So they can sort of give an initial thumbs up or down. And so that we can get an understanding of the sort of size and complexity of the project. So we can, we can get a quick, a first read on the potential cost. Okay. Right. So it's about uh, approvals and cost and uh, really just like uh, a description of this project at an initial stage. That's kind Got of the first step. Right. We do enough to get those kind of things answered. So let's say from your perspective, the project ends there. Yes, you got approval, but the the money turns out wasn't there or they couldn't get financing or something like that happens, which I imagine happens a lot. How much, if it had continued, how much of your total contract would have been fulfilled? Like, is that half? Is that a third? Is that no. 80%? No, no. I mean, that first step is very limited okay. intentionally. So it's a first pass kind of concept. Again, enough to kind of understand the, those, kind of, those kind of things and get, get certain questions and answered, at least initially. So okay. that you can figure out if it's a go or no go. But and your point was 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 accurate that um, you know with that information, including a, an initial sort of cost estimate, the owner, the developer, right, is mm -hmm. is going to is going to um, start to look uh, for financing. Mm -hmm. So that's that's debt and equity, right? It's a yeah. lender and it's an investor. Um, and uh, you know if that looks promising. Um, Okay, we'll and you know approvals look like they're going to happen, et cetera. Then you know we're off to like the rest of the project. But that first piece is a very very small percentage of the whole project. Okay, and it, both in terms of you getting paid and the work that you're doing. Correct. Okay. Correct. So let's say it does move forward. What's next? Then, uh, if we haven't already, we put a proposal together for the remaining services, which okay. is everything else and all the consultants, and then you know we're off and running and it's, again, it's more sort of incremental work. You know, we do a certain amount of work and then we'll go back to a commission for another meeting, et cetera. We'll mm -hmm. go, go to uh, maybe a contractor or a, a several contractors that we're considering for uh, updated pricing. Right. And are and you hiring them? No, typically the, the contractor is hired by the owner. Okay. Um, but you know, we'll, we're usually asked to make suggestions about, you know, um, contractors that are a good fit. Okay. Right? So, you know, three, two, two, three, four contractors, you know, show up and sort of are in the running and, uh, we're kind of working with them at this preliminary stage and, um, they are doing cost estimates or possibly they've already been selected. I mean, I'm a big fan of bringing a team on early 
uh-huh. and identifying that team, including the contractor, because, you know, if they're a good contractor, you, you, you want to be concerned more about the relationship than the numbers. Okay. Okay. Because if you select a contractor just based on numbers, um, that may, um, not work out the way you want it to. Okay. Um, because you just, you just want somebody that knows what they're doing, can do a good job. You can, you can control the owner can control the numbers going forward. I always like to tell all of our clients, like they're in control of that. <laughs> you know, we'll tell them what, and the contractor will tell them, well, okay, what you're looking at doing, what you want to do is likely to cost this much, but if you want it to cost, want it, want it to cost less or more, you're in control of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it makes a difference, right? If you, if you want to cost less, then it's gotta be either smaller in size or lower in quality or different in some way, but right. they're in control. And are we at, construction at this point in terms of the process no not at all so again very very incremental i mean we have different phases leading up to a construction start but you know basically look at it like we're just for adding layers of information so as we move through the design process we're you know we're considering other things you know construction details and you know code uh interpretation that's a big Hmm. thing um i like the way you phrase that yeah. And as we go through, you know, we're just adding more, more information on our drawings, um, getting at more accurate pricing, et cetera, et cetera. All that includes the owner. There's a dialogue going on all the time. OAC mm-hmm. is what we call our meetings, owner, architect, contractor. So okay. that's hap- that's happening all the time. So lots of, lots of communication and lots of development, lots of decisions. Mm-hmm. And we get to the point where, okay, the drawings are far enough along that we will submit for a building permit. Off it goes okay. to the city. Typically in our schedules for most of our projects, other than maybe really small ones in the city of Columbus, we have on our spreadsheet for our schedules, a two month bar. It's this okay. long and it's on every schedule because that's generally what we allot for a, uh, a building uh, plan review to get a permit. Okay. Right. So, you know, after that, when we get the permit, then again, now we're really off and running contractor mobilizes on site and things start happening. Got it. For real. And then you, I imagine, remain involved in the process, even though you've handed over the, the design and basically the, the instruction manual for how to put this building right. that you've designed together. You've already made choices about the materials and and the, the costs associated for the owner you remain involved through that construction process. Yes, yes, for okay. a number of reasons. I mean, essentially we're representing the owner um, throughout okay. that, the construction process. So um, things always change to some degree in some ways, things always change. Um, can you give me an example that, of that? I can give you 400 examples, but- um, <laughs> Give me a common into, one. Well, they fall into different categories, by the way, and that shows up in the construction cost estimate. Okay. Uh, there's like there's an owner's contingency. So contingency is like a pot of money that you set aside mm-hmm. to use if you when you need to. Owner's contingency is like I decide I want another, I want a bigger fitness room or okay. something. We want to add this or that, or change the material. Okay, so that comes out of the owner's contingency. Contractor's contingency is. Um, if they might have missed something in the in their estimating, like they missed okay. something on the drawings, um, design contingency is if the sort of design changes somewhat. Um, so anyway, 
changes happen during construction um, and we're involved throughout construction to help manage that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also there to help answer questions from the contractor. Okay. So, I mean, you can go really technical with all that. There's something called um, an RFI, Request for Information. We mm -hmm. get those all the time. It's like, did you mean this or that? So we answer those kind of questions. Basically, they say the, these instructions aren't clear to me, or I don't think these instructions are right, and I just want further clarity. Yeah, confirmation, that sort of thing. Right. Okay. Exactly. And then there's the two bad words in construction uh, change order. Sometimes okay. that happens. <laughs> okay. You want to you want to avoid that. That's like, oops, that's a miss. So that has to be added to the construction cost, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we try to avoid that. Uh, but anyway, we're involved in the process to help sort of manage all those things. Okay. And then any sort of incremental steps after sort of, you know, all the the door handles are getting put on, the windows are done, the uh, utility hookups happening. When do you walk away? Well, kind of at a place called, we call it substantial completion. Okay. Right. That's kind of when the contractor is released, you know, liens are released and everything. It's like, okay, we're pretty much there. We just have some sort of touch up, some punch list items, as they call it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, you know, uh, we're there till pretty much the end. I mean, let's say occupancy uh, for an apartment project. Um, and then, you know, there's project closeout if things need to be addressed afterwards. And, you know, look, we're also all, always available after a project sort of finishes, quote, and there are things that come up later. You know, a tenant says, hey, what about this? Or something gets kind of, you know, something doesn't work out the way pl it's planned in terms of how it functions. You know, mm -hmm. we end up visiting, you know, we work for the, we'll work with a, an owner to revisit things as needed. See, I told Got you it. there was a lot in here. I mean, it's just there exhausting. There is. I mean, it? we've done 30 minutes just now, and I we're in my head a third of the way through. And I, if we have time, I do want to schedule another conversation with you. It's exhausting just talking about it, isn't it? Well, and I imagine for you, it's a little bit, you're, you're talking about your day-to-day. -day, and so it's like, this is not that exciting. <laughs> Can't be. You do work in primarily Columbus, is that right? Fair to say. No, not just Columbus, but but... But primarily, yeah. Got it. Got it. Talk about what you see as unique in terms of housing and development in Columbus. What should people know? <laughs> if you're in Indianapolis and somebody knows and there's an architect there and they're like, so what's Columbus like? How do right. you describe the housing and development market here? Yeah. And that would be another hour conversation, probably. Um, and I've had those. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a lot about Columbus that people don't know. Um, okay. who aren't familiar, but you know, you, you know, gosh, I follow a lot of news outlets and online, this or that. And, you know, you see these things all the time. It's like the top 10, this or that, you know, mm -hmm. Columbus is appearing in more and more on those kind of lists as an active housing market in a lot of ways. It could uh -huh. be, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the pr prices, it could be availability, it could be construction, you know, all those things. There's a lot happening here. Mm -hmm. And people are paying attention across the country um, or even in the world. I mean, we had somebody from South Africa um, sort of take an interest in Columbus uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's a pretty a robust market for a, a number of reasons. Um, so I would tell people that, you know, it's worth paying attention to because there's a lot of 
activity and therefore a lot of opportunity if you care uh, to participate. And there's a lot of uh, really interesting development. I mean, this isn't the sort of, you know, 90s where, you, you know, a lot of the development was uh, single family houses, you know, mm-hmm. um, in far flung suburbs. It's a very different market now. And um, it comes and, and with that comes a lot of complexities and sort of challenges um, when things are more about, um, you know, infill development. Look, doing an apartment project in maybe Grandview, people wouldn't necessarily think of that as urban because they think it has to be downtown. But a lot of those projects are pretty urban in their nature. Um, So there's a lot of interesting uh, development in the housing market happening here right now. And also, I would say a lot of, I think, interesting thinking and approaches to housing in terms of how do you create, I would say, responsible density. Um, okay. Um, how do you create affordability? A uh-huh. big, big issue. Um, how do you um, how do you promote uh, sort of you know healthy neighborhoods and uh, robust transportation and all those sort of things because it, these projects aren't sort of done in a in a vacuum. They deal with so much more. Than right. just the build the building and the property, and it you know you really need to be aware of that. And so it's either intentional or unintentional those sort of connections and effects. Right, um, better to be intentional about it and do things that support more development that helps neighborhoods. Right, that, right. That tries to avoid gentrification. That tries to avoid displacement. That tries to um, avoid you know inappropriate development although that's a very much of a subjective term but you know you have okay. to be aware of the context really when yeah. you're doing that and that's a big word context is has to do with a lot of things from a philosophical standpoint i imagine from what i'm hearing you agree that density is important and good and that there's a responsibility to make sure that the the context for a project fits everything around it Correct. Yes, both of those. Okay. Are we doing a good job? We're trying. Okay. But not yet at all. Not good enough at all. I mean, I kind of follow it like this. Look, it's evident to me, and, you know, I, I, people have lots of opinions about this sort of thing, but, you know, the fact is, and it is a fact, Columbus is growing. That's mm-hmm. not something, that's not a handle you can turn on or off. I mean, there are things that affect that, but, you know, most of it has to do with, you know, a lot of things that are out of, anybody's control mm-hmm. um i mean zoning t- tends to tries to control it you know job market you know has a lot to do with it um, but anyway it is happening mm-hmm. so my point is uh columbus is growing and by that i mean you know people are moving here a lot of people are moving here businesses are forming um mm-hmm. etc so the city has to accommodate that it does accommodate that in one way or another right mm-hmm. um it's just a matter of how and how well Part of accommodating that well is to plan for it and recognize that that growth is happening more in urban environments. Why? Because mm-hmm. that's that's a preference, right? Right. In, it's where in people want to live. Right. In the 90s, it was different. I mean, you know, you can't really change that. You can create more or less opportunity, and there's an effect to that. But that's that's where people are looking to move and to open offices and things like that. So if it's growing, if it's Columbus is growing and it's growing in a way that um, has a focus in urban areas, mm-hmm. then the only way to really accommodate that well is to understand that you need to accept a certain amount of density, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the only, the only, the real sort of problem with that for a lot of people is just simply that it's different. It's change, okay. right? So I'm, I'm in this neighborhood. I'm using my neighborhood looking like this. Right. That's different. So let's stop it. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it, it's the change. Well, I that think really... about the development, uh, speaking of Arlington specifically, I think about that uh, apartment develop. I think it's apartments just north of the shops on lane and how, you know, I'm a member of that Facebook group, even though I've never lived in that neighborhood. And there was a lot of pushback and it wasn't about lowering property values or, anything like that. It was really just, this is different and this isn't Arlington and this isn't Correct. what uh, we want, but what, what it was doing was adding density. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things, but it's also creating a, a more, you know, let's say vibrant mixed use area, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. I mean, so now, you know, people will have, you know, more restaurants to go to. They'll have a place for somebody to stay in a hotel if right. they come to visit, et cetera, instead of, instead of going somewhere else. Right. So they're, certainly benefits uh, from that. But yes, it's about change in and of itself. But the fact is, I think what's lost, every neighborhood, every city changes. It's, it's just the way it happens, right? I right. mean, sometimes sometimes cities will become less dense, and that's typically a bad thing. That Detroit went through that for a long period. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you know, a, a lot of cities you'll see growth, you know, it either in, you know, in a steep curve or a not so steep curve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Arlington, for instance, Lane Avenue, I mean, I don't think anyone's complaining that, you know, you know, back in the 40s, this was just a neighborhood with some like, you know, horse farms <laughs> because it was. Right. But, no one's know, bemoaning that. Right. Uh, it's right, just right. adjustment to that change. Right. And that, you know, maybe some people would think that's an unfair um, sort of perspective or criticism. But the reality is these change all the time. They, they have and they will. And it's... Um, Rather than sort of fight it and say, you know, well, we just don't want that change. Mm -hmm. I think the smarter way is to is to accept it and and be more in control of how it happens. Okay. I think I think you know, and to get a little bit more kind of further into that sort of um, um, that whole argument, I think the groups that spend a lot of time and effort and sometimes money fighting these developments would be better off if they tried to control them more. I think they don't understand okay. how much. Now, they may say, well, that's what we're trying to do. But the fact is, I mean, if they say, look, you're a developer, you're going to do a project and it has to happen in certain ways. You're not going to do it for free because, you know, most houses we live in and offices we work in made some made money for somebody. That's right. Society. Sorry. But um, <laughs> if you work with a developer in a realistic way, then it can really be a win-win. If you're unrealistic in your expectations, um, you know, it may be a win-lose um, mm -hmm. or even a lose-lose, but uh, I think groups can have more control over how their neighborhoods develop if they take a more realistic approach and ask for things in exchange. Like, okay, we'll let that be five stories, but we want at least a little bit of a park that's public. Okay, like we want a green space. Right, or whatever that is, right? I mean, I think there's much more sort of um, potential for um, uh, uh, a constructive dialogue and a kind mm -hmm. of give and take if you approach it that way. But if it's just a like, 
you know, we say no, and that's all we have to say, um, then you're either going to win or lose. Well, let me challenge you a little bit from the perspective of a non-developer, but a city and community interested person. It has to be a two-way dialogue, right? And if there is a known group that is going to be vocal in opposition, isn't there some onus on the developer to give outreach from from the get-go? To engage, absolutely. We okay. We we encourage that all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it usually never works just just for like try to get a project through without any kind of you know outreach at all, right? Okay. You have to listen. You have to at least listen. Now, right. what you do, what you do with that dialogue, you know, it depends a lot on what that dialogue is, and yeah, you know, that's and that's why I'm encouraging for neighborhood groups to really have an open dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and not just a sort of a you know, you know, a one word no. I mean, NIMBYism is the term. Like you, you just yeah. don't, you can't just say no. I don't want that in my backyard. Well, you can. I just don't think in the end you're going to get the best outcome. Right. What does Columbus need more of? Well, in no particular order, but okay. maybe it is. They need more affordable housing. And I don't think people okay. realize that you know, affordable housing affects you know, the lack thereof affects everybody. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like, look, my neighborhood's just fine, so put that over there. You know, it affects everybody because it makes more businesses more viable, which makes mm-hmm. the economy more viable. Um, which makes a lot of people happier. Um, and you know, you can go into like, what's the value of equity and, you know, that's another several hour discussion, but, um, affordable housing is more important to more people than most people think. Uh So we definitely need to find ways to do that. We need more mixed use environments, um, that are associated with, I'll say, uh, sort of a, uh, more of a nerdy term transit corridors so we okay. need more we need more dense development and more mixed-use development in places where people move around town right mm-hmm. because you want to concentrate those on on access places that have access to transportation and i don't mean just cars right that's, that's a healthy city a healthy city has um, more sort of variety of uses and buildings uh, um, in places that are accessible to transportation because that's a smarter way for a lot of people to live. There's a lot of ways to do it. You can still live in the suburb in your big house, perfectly fine. But um, I think we need to accommodate more people and more, uh, you know, retail and offices and entertainment and whatever it is in places that are accessible to transit options. That's really okay. important. What are the things that are standing in the way of, first of all, affordable housing, and then the follow-up is going to be better transit corridors? Well, um, and maybe that's the conversations that aren't happening or the funding, or I don't want to place blame, obviously, but what's not, ha- what's not happening that to, to get us what we need? Well, it's, I mean, it, it, I mean, you have to say it kind of includes or even starts with planning because mm-hmm. that's what, that's what sort of initiates change, but that's starting to happen too. I mean, I'll make a, a plug for rapid five, which mm-hmm. is a, uh, initiative, um, that, um, 
ULI and others are for sponsoring that will start to change things in a lot of neighborhoods that really need to be changed in some really good ways. Those are the kind of initiatives, initiatives and that's the kind of thinking that we need to make these things really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has to do with, with kind of zoning ordinances in the end, and that comes from good planning. But it's also a lot of it is just sort of um, I don't want to seem pedantic, but, you know, like educating people. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, here's what you could have, right? If you support these kinds of things, this is what you get. You can have, you know, your kids, when they graduate from OSU, they can live in a place like this and they can walk a block and a half to a park, a bikeway that's on a park that's along a river and they can mm-hmm. bike downtown for a concert or whatever. I mean, it literally comes down to creating changes that people actually can value and and, and really take advantage of if you mm-hmm. embrace that kind of thinking and those kind of changes. It certainly doesn't happen overnight, but, you know, you have to start somewhere. And, you know, the more that kind of thinking and the more that acceptance and understanding and um, that kind of development in that kind of way in another, you know, five, eight, 10, 20 years is going to make a lot of a, a big difference. And I normally ask these questions in the reverse order. But what is Columbus doing a good job at? Well, um, a lot of things. I mean, I'm always very, um, I used to be surprised. I'm not surprised anymore. I'm just happy. (laughs) But there there are a lot of sort of, you know, I'll just say kind of younger generations, right, that are, you know, moving here and they're getting jobs and they're living here and they're, you know, buying and going to places that, you know, that, that, um, that make kind of cool neighborhoods and all that. There are more of those people doing really cool things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, startups and restaurants and people that make stuff and all that. And it's happening in a really, and it has been in a really kind of important way now for some time. I mean, people that move here now, like, you know, somebody in their thirties moves here for their job. They mm-hmm. would say short North, that's cool. You know, East mm-hmm. Frankton, that's cool, but they don't know like what it took for us to get here. And right. so kudos to all those people that just like they didn't wait to, you know, to get financing, to get a bank loan, to open up a shop to do this. They just did it. Right. Mm-hmm. That has happened in, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of ways in Columbus that have made this a better city. So we're doing the kind of grassroots um, stuff really well, I think. And you can see how that's happening. So that's uh, it's it's because of that that places like East Franklinton is what it is, right? Uh-huh. You know, it's it's the people, you know, at the at the 400, um, you know, building over there mm-hmm. and all those sort of businesses that are in development now is coming. It, that came from sort of a grassroots kind of interest and sort of development in, in that way. Anyway, we're doing that that stuff really, really well. And uh, the other things we're doing well is we are finally, thank you, City of Columbus, rewriting our like 1959 zoning code. Mm-hmm. Um, that served Columbus well for a couple of decades and then not. Um, so that's, that's big. That's a big deal. And, you know, zoning code, like, you know, a lot of people would yawn about that. But in the end, that's going to make things, I think, better for us. So, Well, it's what allows things to happen. In an easier, in a more, um, I would say, easier way, but in a better way, too right? You can make sort of projects happen 
that don't fit the zoning code with a lot, a lot of effort. And we've been doing that for a long time, but it slows everything down. And I will tell you that people that come here from other cities where things are happening at a, at a pace that's more suitable for a growing city like Columbus, right? Mm -hmm. um, they sort of just shake their heads. Like, are you kidding me? It's like, you people have a variance for everything. That's not the way to do it. Right. Well, and it allows for things to get stopped up. Sure, exactly. So it's not about, you know, it's not about getting around anything. It's just about accepting what things, how things really should happen and making it, uh, that process just less cumbersome. People yeah. still have a voice and they need a voice in, in these developments and these projects in their own neighborhoods. They need a voice and they will have a voice. But um, there's just a lot of the noise, I think, needs to and should sort of come out of it. Yeah. The dialogue. Well, and hopefully it makes things easier and more equitable as well. Exactly. It should. It should. Mr. Barnes, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite architect. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.